What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, it's been a couple weeks, but we're back, and we've got a mailbag episode today. So we've got five questions we're going to answer tonight, and questions from you, the listener. So, I mean, Daniel, let them know how they can get more questions in for the next mailbag episode. Yeah, this is what we've been waiting for. We really appreciate you guys buying in, helping us out. Um, that's exactly what we want to do. Um, we want to help you help us help you, right? So um, first thing you could do, follow us on social media at the Extra Point Pod, both on Instagram and Facebook. That way you can see all our content that we're putting out. Jacob's fantastic graphics that he puts out there every every so often, um, and especially during the season. It's a must follow during that time. Um, but then also uh, following us um on YouTube, the best way to do that is in the show description on both of those pages. Um, you can either go into our link tree or whenever we post a show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to it, um, just go click there, subscribe, hit the notification bar. But while you're there, I mean, set up camp, you know, throw a comment or two, ask a few questions, you know, ask how dare we, you know, I know Cartwright's upset with about some stuff. So let's throw some more things on him. Um, and then, you know, like, uh, the Apple podcasts continue to leave five-star reviews that helps us get, you know, recommended, throw a comment in there, throw a question. We're going to try to do these at least a couple times in the off season. And then, Hey, may, maybe we might have enough to do one during the season. Um, if, if some, if there's enough questions, so love to do that. Um, so y'all just keep doing it there and we'll be happy to oblige. Let's dive in Daniel. So We've got we've actually got six questions. So first three are from Preston. So hey, you can send us more than one question and feel free. We love it on Apple Podcasts, but hey, shoot us one on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Shoot us a question and we'll be happy to answer it on the podcast. So first question from Preston. He says, What are some rule changes or implementations you'd like to see in college football? So Daniel, I have I have four that two Three of them are very simple. One of them is a little more complicated. How many do you have? I just have two, and I feel like yeah. these are the most important to me, bar none. Like, there's, I could probably go ticky tack and find some more, but like, there's a big gap after these two. Other than that, we're good. So, all right, let me let me go first, and then okay. I'll shoot it back to you. Um, I'll go with an easy one. You know what? I'll save that. It might be one of yours. Um, okay, here's a simple one: chips and footballs. It's 2021. These chips are not going to affect the weight of the football. My phone can tell me where I am within like 10 meters. So I know that in a football field, we could have chips and lasers. It's 2021. Why are we relying on a ref's eyes to mark the ball spot? Ridiculous. It's 2021. Add chips to footballs. Let's get exact ball spots. There will be no more controversy with like spot of the ball, no more challenging spot of the ball. What's a first down? Did he cross the goal line? All that stuff. We will know immediately. So let's just add chips to footballs. Pretty simple. I think that has to be done on like a manufacturing level. If I'm being honest with you, that can't be something that's done at a college or being subject to what a college can afford to do, because then you start talking about, you know, the economics of the sport and, you know, the, the major conferences are going to be able to afford it. Even some of the major players within the conferences are going to be able to afford it versus not everybody. Um, so I think that has to start 
on a, on a macro level, probably with the actual manufacturers of all the footballs. Um, Cause if you're talking about team by team or an organization doing it, easiest thing is for like the NFL to do it because they can right. uniform across 32 teams. They all have the same funds uh, college. It's a little different, but I like where your head's at. I really think that that's a very practical use of, you know, our technology that we have, like, why, why not? It drives me crazy watching one of these refs run out there and spot a ball. And it's like, dude, they were in the middle of a pile. Like, how did you, and then if it's like matters, this this small little, you know, three inches and they, they don't get the first down that would drive me crazy or chain link. Um, One of mine is just ineligible man downfield. Um, It's a rule. So I'm not, proposing a rule change <laughs> i would like it to be enforced a little more with the evolution of the game and rpos just growing um rpos are fantastic but i think it's making things a little too easy uh with an eligible man downfield not being called as much so i'm basically just calling for it to be called regularly um if they call it a little more that would be good. And then also if it could be more, more punitive, I'm not saying that it has to be more like it's five yards right now. I'm not saying it has to be 15 yards. I, I don't believe in a lot of those unless there's some sort of personal foul, you know, but I do think if you lose it down, I think that would probably be enough. Like, Hey, five yards and it's second down now, you know, and then they have to, you know, it would, it would cause the game to be, a, have a little more parity. Um, we've kind of gotten, you know, swayed over to the offense a little bit, maybe make things kind of more balanced again. Um, I think that might be a good move. So I'm, I'm going to say ineligible man downfield enforced and slightly more punitive. So I'm with you. Got to enforce it. Um, so NFL is one yard. So that's why RPO is not in the NFL as much as like it's one yard. Right. College, you got three, but the problem is, Right now, the refs can't enforce it. There's not a, there's not enough refs. So I think the easy solution is add a ref, add, add a ref, yeah, three yards downfield, and just be like, as soon as an offensive lineman crosses, as soon as they cross, you look at the quarterback, and if they saw the ball in their hand, flag comes out. But I'm also with you in that you have to increase the punishment. Right now, it's five yards and repeat the down. So if I'm an offense, like first and fifteen, is not nearly as bad as second and fifteen. Like even if it was five yards and loss of down or just loss of down. Second and 10 is a lot bigger deal than first and 15. Right. So I'm with you. That's a great one. Um, uh, here's a simple one. Down by contact. NFL has it. Down by contact. Just bring it to college. I like I that. think it'll help with the development of players as well. Like there's not another thing you have to learn when you go to the NFL. It's just, hey, you slip down and fall. You're not down yet. You got to be touched. So down by contact. Bring it to college football. It's like Plaxico Burris with the Steelers years ago. He caught the first down. Uh, gets up, celebrates the first down, spikes the ball. The other team recovers it because it's a fumble because he was not down yep. by contact. It was like right. his rookie year is like a second or third game. So yeah, that'd be that'd be a good rule. Um, definitely in favor of that. My my other main one is I need a standardized clock, not just this you know clock that's out there in the netherworld for a review. Like I. I think the review has got to be a fallback rather than like, Hey, every play gets reviewed because I feel like the refs are relying on it too much. And so they know they have the technology to back them up. So they're intentionally making either a, you know, a call that is potentially 
they wouldn't make if they didn't have that or they're kind of rolling the dice more because they know they can look at it later. I want them to make the best call on the field. I think you need to have, you know, less of a luxury of just sitting there and trying to figure out, you know, how long this is. Cause the game, you know, I love the game. I'm going to watch every second of it, you know, but the longer the games are, it's, it becomes difficult to watch an entire one game. We need some sort of clock on the review process. So, um, and it would be nice to be able to see that and to know, Hey, we've got 30 seconds left on this review. They're wrapping it up or something. Cause you, that last little bit is always like a, you know, Oh, they're just trying to figure out ball spot. I'm like, well, if we had the chips that you're talking about, we don't need to figure out ball right. spot. Like they're good. It's like, Hey, mark it right there. And we're done. So that would be big for me. Uh, review clock. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so I've got two more. One again, simple. Everyone else has said it, but targeting just make it a flagrant one and a flagrant two. I'm very glad they've already changed the rule where the player does not have to leave the field. Like, especially when those were accidental, that was a punishment does not fit the crime. Right. Um, so love they changed that, but make it a flagrant one, flagrant two. But the flagrant one, which one's worse in the NBA? Flagrant one or flagrant two? You're asking the wrong guy. Yeah, I think I flagrant know. one is. Uh, Let's say flagrant one is the worst one. So I'm talking okay. about the worst one right now. All right, a flagrant one would include. So here's the here's the hit I think about James Skalski on Justin Fields in the national championship game. That to me would be a flagrant one because no, he didn't hit Fields in the head or neck area, but you also have to protect the hitter when you yeah. lower your head like that. That's how Ryan Chazier got paralyzed like right. was because he lowered his head and hit like that so again it's not just protecting the runner you've got to protect the hitter as well and so again there's those plays where you know the running back trips and falls and then you're already had an angle they hit head to head that should be like a hey five yard penalty you know let's clean it up yeah clean it up whatever like hey be careful next time whatever i know you're you know we've already made the game safer we're not going to go backwards from that so Clean it up, make it a five-yard penalty. The game's already gotten safer since they've added the rule. And then, yeah. Like it's the, made the correction that it was intended to make. Exactly, exactly. So now then add that one where, it, you know, you can tell intent or intent or not. You, you know, it wasn't a in slow-mo. It looked, you know, it's intentional. Have the 15 yards and eject the player. Still all for that. But I think you'll have a lot less of those than you have now. You'd have a lot more flagrant twos than you would flagrant ones. So that's my target one. Last one. This is one I'm a little bit passionate about. All right. The <laughs> dumbest rule in college football. And I've already mentioned this to you. When you, as the offensive player, drive the ball 99 yards and fumble the ball out of bounds, it's still your ball wherever you fumbled it. You just can't advance the ball, right? But if you go one more yard into that end zone and fumble it out of bounds, not only is it 20 yards in the opposite direction, but it's also the other team's ball. Like, we've got to stop this. You fumble out of the end zone, and it is a touchback in the other team's ball. That that punishment does not fit the crime. Now, if you want to back them up to the 20, that's fine. Like, but you get to keep the ball. Like, first and 10 at the 20, yeah. and not other teams first and 10 at the 20. That's something um, else. You got to probably reset the down or something. And so, oh. and, and I, I'm even all for... I think you got to back it up because my first thought was, hey, first and first and goal from the three. 
But I think there should be a little bit of punishment for like you fumbled the ball out of the end zone. So back him up. But it doesn't put you out of field goal range. And then you could keep, well, you could keep the down because let's say it's third down or something. You fumble, it's fourth down, but they put you on the 20. You're still in field goal range. You've earned the right to be in, you know, that territory. I like it. Yeah. So that's what I'm a little passionate about. That's the, that's the dumbest role in football. So we got to change that one. Next question, also from Preston. What are your favorite college football traditions? I think we've both got a few, Daniel. Why don't you go first? Um, first one I'm going to say is I actually really like um, – I like the light-up Sanford at UGA games. I think that they do a good job at – in the fourth quarter – the band plays a song. Uh, it's called Krypton. They play that. Um, everybody, obviously, everywhere holds up four fingers. Like this is at every football stadium anywhere, holds up four fingers for the fourth quarter. But uh, a few years back, people started, you know, with ha- everybody having a phone that has a flashlight, everybody holds it up um, and they play the song and everybody does it, you know, at the same time. Um, and in Georgia, um, like several schools, has added the you know light show basically having the led lights everywhere so they they add in that red and so it's this this whole big almost just like a big red wave and it's 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 just really cool to see it's very um impressive to see on tv and in person it's even more impressive so um that's something that i definitely think it's more of a new tradition um, but it's something that, I mean, I think they're going to continue to do forever based on how it's gone so far. So that's something I really like. That's a tradition that needs a full crowd. So I'm hoping, Oh yeah, I'm hoping we have full crowds. So I'll go to one that also requires a full crowd and that's the Penn state whiteout. Oof. I mean, I've heard that Penn state games, like their crowd's decent, but a whiteout I've heard is second to none, except for maybe, you know, a Saturday night in death Valley. But, that white, I just remember in 2019, they played Michigan and it's, you know, eight o'clock ABC, you know, Fowler and Kirk on the call and Michigan's first play from scrimmage, like kickoff happens and then Michigan has the ball first and 10. That crowd was so loud. They had to call timeout on the first, like before they snapped the first snap. And I was like, man, like I, it, it looks awesome on TV. I'm yeah. sure it looks awesome in person. Like there's not one person in that stadium. that's not wearing white unless you're the opposing team. They got the white pom poms. It, it looks really cool. That's on my bucket list of something I want to go see for myself in person, Penn state whiteout. That's a very imposing look too. I think um, it makes it feel like there's that many more people against you when you're the other team. Yeah. Um, Cause you just can see like, yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. Um, this next one is also semi-recent. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a heart, heart welling um, one. It's the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, they wave to the children's hospital, uh, the fans wave. So, you know, it's just one of those things that that's what, college football is all about like it's about the fans it's about others you know and it's about connecting people with this sport um everybody has a special connection to a team or to you know a region and i think that this is just one of those things where um you know it's special the children's hospital is built you know facing the stadium and everybody kind of takes that time to wave and it's just 
raising awareness and in, in addition to, you know, just a really cool thing, you know, that there's more than just the game, you know, and that, that really embodies that uh, there at Iowa. So I really like that one. Awesome. I love that one. That one's great. Uh, all right. I'll get up a more traditional one. So I got to see this in person in 2019 and that is Ohio state dotting the eye that, that band is awesome. What's their name? The best damn band in the land. Um, you know, the, the band's nickname. So love Ohio state. Uh, that's that tradition. When the band came out, it was just like, they came out of this tunnel on one side of the stadium and you know, with, with any college football band, the drum line is just what makes it for me. And they're in this tunnel and it's just like echoing as they're, you know, coming out and the crowd is, the crowd was as into the band as they were to, for the team for the rest of the game. And, uh, you know, the band comes out and they, you know, they do their fight songs and stuff, but when they dotted the eye and did the script Ohio, it's unbelievable. It's really cool. It's something I would, you know, if you're a college football fan, it's awesome to see on YouTube and like on TV, but really, really cool in person worth going to an Ohio state game, honestly, just to see their band. It, it was really awesome. Um, that's awesome. I, I do. I had that one on my list, but you know, we kind of, kind of talked about it. I didn't want to, uh, double up. That's a good one. Um, you know, anytime bands are in it, man, that's just like, uh, bands are about like college football with drumline. Like that just gets your blood flowing. Yes. Um, that's what football is all about. Speaking of that, Tennessee, I like, you know, how their band makes the power T. Okay. So they're fan, you know, they, they run out of the tunnel, run through the power T that's really cool. Also, I really enjoy on third down, you know, shout out to Lil John, uh, third down for what, you know, they blare it. Um, it really gets in everybody's ear, uh, especially those, Butch, those last few Butch Jones years where they really couldn't stop anybody on third down, but they were playing the heck out of that song. So enjoy some third down for what, as well as running through the power T. That's something. They're down for what? Probably a better tradition than the power T. Tennessee fans, let us know. Um, yeah. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll go to Clemson, and Clemson's intro where they run down the hill, touch Howard's Rock. All the pageantry that goes along with that is really cool. So I remember, you know, Daniel, you and I have grown up Georgia fans. So I remember when I was in high school when we played Clemson, 2013 game right? ABC, ESPN. I remember watching, like they, they showed the whole thing on ESPN, which I thought was really cool. And I was like, this is awesome. Like I'm sitting here, not my team, but we're playing against Clemson. And like this, this is so cool. And then once again, getting to see in person, they did, they did the same thing in the stadium where they show the team getting on the buses because the locker rooms on the other side of the stadium, the buses drive around and it's just like the crowd kind of like builds until they, you know, finally get off the bus and come out. And then they go, you go from seeing them on the screen to seeing them on the top of the hill, which is really cool. So touching Howard Rock, running down the hill, really cool tradition with Clemson. Man, that hill, it freaks me out, man. They start running, and they start jumping as they're running down. And that little, you it's know, an ACL, man. yeah, I'm just thinking I'm going to about, I'm about to pop something watching these guys <laughs> run down this. I can't, I couldn't even imagine doing it. So, um, I'm saying it's one of the last ones. This is my last official one. I might mention a couple more in passing, but uh, Notre Dame, if I think about one team and one program, one school that is just cloaked with tradition, like they're the ultimate college football tradition, I feel like. Um, 
And I think that just kind of goes back to several things, but, you know, touchdown Jesus, seeing the, you know, the, the, the Jesus mural uh, painted um, from, from Notre Dame stadium. Um, and then the gold helmets, obviously having actual gold in the spray paint on the helmets, um, you know, Rudy being offsides. I think that's a great tradition as well with Notre Dame. Um, he, you know, famously was offsides rather than actually getting his sack. So uh, I appreciate all of those um, together. Um, but yeah, Notre Dame, like it's just a classic feel, the whole, you know, aura around South Bend. That's like, you know, that's where the original, you know, College Football Hall of Fame is. So it's like, it makes sense that that's where, you know, a lot of traditions kind of are birthed out of. Last one I'll say is another ACC school, Virginia Tech with Inter Sandman. So, you know, they play it when they enter in, and it's really, really cool. I love when, you know, it might be a while, but when they get that ESPN 8 o'clock game and they show it with the crowd and same thing, they show the team walking over from their locker room, which is a little bit outside the stadium, over into the stadium, into the tunnel where they got the Hokie Stone. And they actually have like a Metallica recorded video where, you know, they get they come on and say hey to the fans and say start jumping and the whole stadium jumps. And when it's a big game and Virginia Tech's into it and their fans are into it, it looks really cool on TV. And that's the one I want to go see in person. Uh, I, I watched a video from, gosh, it, it must have been the late, I say late 2000s, like pre-2010, they played against Miami. And it was like a fourth down to end the game. And Miami took a timeout and they played understand man and everybody's just jumping up and down. Like it looked like the stadium was moving. And, you know, we have a friend who's a Virginia Tech grad and he said like, you, you can feel the stadium moving whenever everybody's jumping, which a little bit scary. I'm sure it's safe, but again, the fans and the traditions are why we love college football. And that's one of them that I'd love to see in person. I'm going to give two quick honorable mentions because I thought of them as we were going um, I thought of them before, but I just didn't write them down. Um, you know, Auburn, like the eagle flying around, that's anytime something is, you know, that fierce looking and that well-trained, that's always impressive. So the fact that it can fly around with a bunch of SEC fans screaming at it, that's awesome. All right. Amazing. Now, another thing, I just love Florida State, like Chief Osceola. Like, that's a good one. Freaking rolling in on a horse and then has a flaming spear like Renegade. that is horrifying right so awesome <laughs> i mean it's awesome as soon as they get a good offensive line i mean that'll actually be intimidating people again but you know we'll see and chief osceola play offensive line hey he might you know i'm saying that horse would make a mean guard that's all i'm saying yeah <laughs> It could pull, you know, it could get out there in some space. So would, he would blindside the heck out of a linebacker. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. Final question from Preston. What group of five teams would you like to see move to the power five into what conference? So I, uh, I wrote down several. I, wrote my, I have five easy ones, one for each conference. So uh, I'll get on the list and I'll kick it to you. So, okay. First, UCF to the SEC. Okay. It just means more in UCF, you know, in that southeastern footprint would have a nice, you know, put them in the SEC East, nice little rivalry with, with Florida in state. That would be awesome. 
Cincinnati to the Big Ten. Again, location, footprint, very easy. They're in Ohio, up there in the Midwest. Super easy. Boise State is the Pac-12. Again, simply based on location, that fits really well. Um, Houston to the Big 12. You know, Big 12 is mainly schools in Texas plus a couple others. So uh, Houston would be a great fit in the Big 12. And then lastly, App State, I thought of, uh, to the ACC. So I guess you could swap UCF and App State, but UCF seemed like the better fit for the SEC. App State seemed like a better fit for the ACC. I mean, the Carolinas, they already got 48 ACC schools, so you might as well grab State in there too. So um, (laughs) I actually had all of those that you listed. Uh, I listed several. I know you did too. So the only difference, I I had App State in the ACC. I also had UCF in the ACC um, because I had another SEC school. Um, So Cincy, I had a Big Ten. Uh, Boise, I also had in the Pac-12. Houston in the Big 12. So another – Another Big 12 school for me, SMU. I think that'd be mm. awesome. I think they'd be a good That's one. A they've, good one. they've had to be up and comers as of recently. Obviously, they had their heyday back in the 80s before before everything shut down. Um, another good Pac-12 one would probably be Fresno State. Uh, they always seem to be in it in the Mountain West with, uh, with Boise. So why not Fresno? They're in that footprint as well on the West Coast. Um, been somewhat consistent of a program. Recently, I really like what Buffalo has done. So I would put Buffalo and maybe the Big Ten, um, just being in that northeast region of the country. I mean, they could be ACC, um, but I would probably lean towards Big Ten maybe with them. Um, SEC, I've got Memphis in the SEC. I think that'd be a good one. They're really in the heart of a true, like, that's a lifeblood, like, recruiting hotbed that that supports not only University of Tennessee, the Mississippi schools, Alabama, like it hits a lot of those schools in that region, Arkansas. It really, like it's one of those cities that you just don't think about, but it's really in like the heart of like the SEC West kind of. Um, so that's a, that's a good one, I think. Um, Marshall, they've had their years um, here and there. I put them in the Big 12 because what the heck, you know, it, what's different from them and another Big 12 team? I think they could probably fit. Um, I think I've listed all of my people. Yeah. Yeah. So the only difference I had was I actually had UCF in the ACC, but yeah, SEC would work too. Florida's one of those states where it's like, if you're good, you could be in two different conferences and really make sense. So I've got, so Memphis, I had on my like cut list. I said Big 12 for Memphis. Okay. I think that culture fits better in the Big 12. But, again, they're in the SEC footprint, um, which I think is great. And then one more SEC school, Louisiana, the Asian Cajuns. That, to me, would be an easy fit in the SEC if they start taking some more group of five teams. Tulane, you could throw them back in the SEC. They're in, uh, they're an original SEC member. That's right. Um, City New Orleans would be mean you know, green. cool. Yeah, so – you know, just, hey, Preston, I really appreciate that question because I've actually thought about that a lot uh, previous. So I like that question a lot. That's a good one. So question from Kyle, what are your thoughts on an 18 playoff? Now, we did have a nice discussion with Josh Payton, but I think I have rounded out my thoughts since then on an 18 playoff. So here's my thoughts on an 18 playoff. Don't. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, so 
and I thought this before. Uh, this past season was a season where I, you know, I, I teased an 18 playoff. Like I was like, you know what? Let me let me really think about this. What are the benefits of it? Bottom line is, I think that an 18 playoff, and Josh Pate said this recently, and it really summed up my thoughts. Like an 18 playoff will be worse for college football than the BCS era was, because the best thing about college football is college football's regular season. There's no other sport in the world that has a regular season like college football. It's the best. Like, games on college campuses are the best. The traditions we just talked about are the best. The fans are the best. There's nothing like it. An 18 playoff lessens the regular season. It does, because teams like Alabama can go 8-0 and then pull the starters, and they're still probably going to win at least two, you know, two of the next four games, and then they're in the playoff. And they're like, hey, I don't care what C we get because we're going to smash everybody <laughs> once we get there. Um, I, I do think it lessens the regular season. That being said, I will accept an 18 playoff whenever it inevitably comes. But, again, I think four is exclusive. It, it, it matters what you do. I'm not for inclusivity. Um, a championship should be exclusive. Most years, only two teams deserve to play for a championship. There's been a couple years where it's been three. And that's the, but those are the outliers. So why why would eight teams deserve to play for a championship? They don't. So I am not in favor, but I'll accept it when it inevitably comes. So similar for me, I think. So it's complicated. It's one of these mixed feelings kind of things. So I love college football, so I always love more college football. So that's always part of it. Um, I'm very much in excellence over access kind of a guy. Barrett Salee references this a lot from uh, CBS Sports. Um, excellence and like what you're talking about, exclusivity, where, you know, you have to be among the elite to be there versus access where you're giving, you're either letting in, you know, some teams that have lost some of their regular season games, kind of like the NFL where you're, you know, have a you know, it's nine and seven team that makes it, you know, you could be an eight and four team or something crazy that makes it, especially if you're going based off of just like conference championship games, or you do something like this, whatever the tie-ins are, the most obvious one seems like it's going to be the four conference champions group of five representative, and then two at large. That's what I would say 80% of the college football world has put forth um, as a suggestion. Um, I just, I don't like it. I, I wouldn't ever really be in favor of it. Um, the one thing that I'll say is when, you know, Barton and Bud, you know, Barton Sims, Bud Elliott, when they talked about it, as far as the health of college football, I'm always going to be pro health of college football. That's one yes. thing that I'm always going to be, um, you know, I'm not going to vote down a party line. I'm always going to be pro this, pro this, pro this, pro this, because I'm pro college football. And you are too, are obviously both in the same boat there. Your, your mention of, hey, I want the regular season to continue to mean as much as it does, that's pro college football. Another pro of college football is you want the entire sport to be healthy. And in some cases, you know, we'll get to it in another question that was submitted later. Um, but, you know, including the West Coast in, you know, in the, the chase for a championship kind of a thing, well, if the Pac-12 had an automatic representative because, you know, it's been a few years since they've been represented in the playoff, you know, that would be something that I'd probably be okay with. Now, you know, I also don't, I, I don't like this devaluing the regular season. 
um, if there was a way to incentivize a team, because here's the, here's the issue I have money talks. It's all about money. So if they went to eight teams, it would absolutely be in a bowl game or some sort of money deal rather than what I'm about to suggest, which would be playing a quarterfinal game in your home stadium. That would be cool on campus. Yeah, like that'd be cool. In, in Alabama, you know, at Clemson at, you know, in Ohio state, like in Columbus, like that would be cool to have an on-campus playoff game. That would be cool. That's not going to happen because of the money. If they somehow were able to make that happen, and that was an incentive for the teams to win out and be one of the top four seeds, then absolutely. Like, I, I think that that's good. But right. we, we've seen how this how this story goes, and it's, it's going to probably lean to the money. I'll accept it like you as far as I want, you know, the, you know, college football may go to it. I'll accept it so long as, you know, it maybe helps the health from viewership standpoint, but I, I probably would be one of the ones kicking and screaming, trying to not let it happen overall. So. I'm with you. <laughs> um, another question from Kyle. What impact will COVID have on the 2021 season? Stadiums, player and coaches in quarantine. Uh, will there be no effect because of vaccines? No, you know, no longer a virus. Knowing what you know about the mortality rates, young and healthy people, what will college football look like? Will it be more like 2019 or 2020? So let me hear your thoughts on this, and I'll give you mine. Yeah, so I, I broke 2019, and I circled it. I think that we're on the way back um, to that. I think that, if anything, the 2020 season showed how strong the sport of college football is, how resilient the – um, the, the fans are obviously the players and the coaches, the whole hashtag we want to play movement that the players went through led by Trevor Lawrence. And then obviously Justin Fields, those guys jumped in. That stuff is amazing. Like the fact that the players who are here in the next month going to get drafted in the top five of the NFL draft are saying that they want to play for free. Like they're playing for free and they, they just love the game. Like that's, what every every red-blooded American who loves college football, that's what they're hoping for. Their players want to play for the love of the game. Yeah, they'll get paid later in the NFL, but right now they're playing for the love of the game. Um, I think that it showed how strong we, we are, and I think that it showed how adaptable we are. We, we had games that were scheduled week of. You know, we had this, we had that. I think there may be a couple cancellations this year because of COVID. There may be, there's not going to be a requirement of, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't assume that there's going to be a requirement of the players to get the vaccine. I think most of them will go ahead and seek it out just because it's available now in, in a lot of states uh, to those who aren't at high risk. Um, my hunch is from what we've been hearing mortality rate wise, there's like, you know, the decline going again. Um, and as far as case numbers, the, there's a decline, positive cases. Um, I'm kind of looking at like Major League Baseball, what they're doing. A lot of these teams are opening with 30% capacity here in April, unless you're Texas where you're opening with 100%. And then they're pushing to, by the all-star break, which is in July, kind of getting to that full number. And so the great part about college football is it's after that. So my hope is that, they're going to be able to say, hey, we're fully open. 
if you're if you're immunocompromised, don't come to the games or it's at your own risk. Like you're accepting responsibility for it. I hate to sound like that, but they're they're ready to get these stadiums open and full again. Um, and you know, people have masks now. Everybody's got a mask. So if you want to bring a mask, or if they require you to wear it when you're going into the stadium, just since it's close contact, and then at that point you're kind of free to do whatever. I mean. I, th I think that we're going to be very close to 2019. You're going to see full stadiums in the fall. I also think it'll, it'll be close to 2019. Um, even if, even if the COVID situation was exactly like it was in 2020, I think you will be more like 2019 because we know what to do with it now. Like you, you got to think last fall, we were figuring stuff out for the first time. The NBA and MLB didn't start back until August, same time college football started or was supposed to start. And so, um, you know, like, like 2020, we didn't have any out-of-conference games. Well, I guess the ACC did. Um, but, you know, we're, we're going to have every game that's scheduled to be played, I think will be played. I don't think we will have any cancellations this year. Mm. And that's just because the the vaccine's available. You've got 46 states that, you know, before May 1st, everyone will be eligible to get the vaccine. And I, I guarantee you've already seen pictures on social media, but these college football programs are going to get their players vaccinated. All, you know, every player that wants it. And so they're going to make sure that their players have the ability to go get it. They'll probably go get it as a team or, you know, register all together for anyone who wants it. So I don't think you're going to see any cancellations this year. You, you might have a couple of players who get it, um, but because the vaccine's available, uh, you know, I'm really hoping we get full stadiums again too. So I'm not holding my breath on that yet. We, we've seen some schools announce already, uh, like Alabama's already announced, like they plan on having a full stadium. I really, really hope so. But I will let myself be surprised because I don't want to get my hopes up and then, uh, you know, have 30% again. I I'd love to see a full stadium when Georgia takes on Clemson week one in Charlotte. That that yeah. would be – I mean, we need that after 2020. Like week one, two schools 70 miles apart from each other, neutral site, whatever, but full stadium. We need that. That almost feel like a finish line in, in a way, you know, like a, yes. hey, we've, we've made it through – the the pandemic in 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 some sorts you know um again it's not all about football it's not all about sports but that's definitely a way to to gauge it um as a you know as a community so i love that question for the sheer fact that that's something that needs to be addressed and you know i really do feel like i feel comfortable saying that i feel comfortable um that we're going to get back to that but you know 2020 it sucked to go through but man I really do feel I do feel like we're stronger um, because of it because we've all we all had to deal with it shared trauma, boom. <laughs> right. Question from Cartwright: Do you believe the Pac-12 can and or will save itself from their terrible college football decisions? If so, how? So, let's give a little bit of context. Terrible college football decisions, biggest one being TV contract, and followed with teams not performing well and not making the college football playoff. Again, that is not the fault of the college football playoff. That is the fault of the teams in the Pac-12 not performing well. Um, viewership and stuff like that, I think the Pac-12 could help with a TV contract. But I think one of two things will happen over the next two to four years. Either the Big 12 will break up, and the Pac-12 will absorb some of those teams, or the Pac-12 will break up and the Big 12 will absorb some of those teams. I think you will have four super conferences in the next two to four years. That's my bet. 
uh, you know, you had conference realignment like 2004 was when Miami, Virginia Tech like joined the ACC. That was a big one. 2012 was the first year, you know, the SEC added Texas A&M and Missouri. You had like Nebraska go to the Big Ten. Um, Syracuse to the ACC. Syracuse to the ACC. Yep. Uh, you had like TCU joined the Big 12. Baylor joined the Big 12. Maryland joined the Big Ten. Yeah. So that was, you know, eight years after the 2004 realignment. You're sitting right now at nine years since that happened. It's going to happen soon. And so I, if I had to bet money on it, I think the Pac-12 will survive by the Big 12 breaking up, which sounds weird to say because they're the more healthy conference. But because they have less teams, if the, if the Pac-12 can get some money, like I think they can make some sweet deals. If the Pac-12 has Texas and Oklahoma join that conference, they're going to get a sweet TV deal. So we'll see what happens. But my bet will be in the next two to four years, one of those two conferences will break up. Do you think it's going to still call itself the Pac-12 or the Big 12, depending upon which one breaks up? Or do you think that that would be something where they'd almost just rename it um, to try to... I would bet they would keep it for, like, branding sake. And there's, like, a complicated legal side of that as well, like, to change your, like, entity name, like, for financial Mm -hmm. purposes and tax and stuff like that. So I would bet they keep it. Just like the Big 12 has nine teams and they're called the Big 12 right now. (laughs) Yeah. At least least the Pac-12, you know, know, changed from Pac-10 to Pac-12. But yeah, I would bet they keep the name. What do you think? It's just something that I'd, I'd be thinking about because it's like, I mean, I know the regions don't mean a whole lot, you know, South, call it Southeastern Conference, but you got a team from Texas, a team from Missouri, you know, and then the Atlantic Coast Conference having some teams that are, you know, like Louisville, they're not touching the Atlantic Coast, but it's almost like that region, you can still draw a line around the teams. This would kind of be like a, you know, you're going to kind of be all over the place. So I almost would wonder if they would just be like the intercontinental conference or the, you know, just something crazy. So I don't know. Um, something to keep in mind though. Like if they, if they did realign just cause if their money's not good, I mean, a rebrand might be actually good for them and sell new contracts with a rebrand fresh look, you know, you've got USC and Texas in the same conference. Like, there's some, you know, appeal there. So I don't know. Um, cool. That's a great question. I agree. I think most of it is in the contracts for TV deals. Um, I also think football's got to matter more. Um, that's something that is a culture thing. So it, it cultures can be changed. It's not just a product of, Hey, they live out here. You know, they live on the West coast. It's more easy going. They don't care about football. If you want the PAC 12 to survive, if the PAC 12 wants to survive, they're going to take a a hard look in the mirror and they're going to hire somebody who cares a lot. You know, they're going to care a lot about the sport specifically, not just athletics as a whole, not just being the most, you know, um, conscious conference or whatever you want to call it or not hiding behind the big 10 and following the big 10's lead they're going to hire someone who's going to show them how to make football matter more you know and i know that sounds very sec of me to say something like that but look at the sec like look at the acc they just want to play look at the big 10 they want to play at 
you know, not at any cost, but it's just very, very important to them to play college football. So um, TV money is big deal, but I think to get TV money, you have to show some sort of an attitude and an effort. And I think that comes from a culture. And I think that culture has to be changed in some capacity with some of leadership that's going to trickle down to some coaches, like, you know, different, different schools that aren't performing like they should, they're going to hire some coaches that care more about it than, you know, that might be an easygoing, like relaxed coach. They're going to get some guys who are some, you know, crazy recruiters, crazy, everything, you know, meatheads. So I think that's important. And lastly, I mean, the big dogs in the conference got to be the big dogs in the conference. I know people enjoy parody. People enjoy upsets. But bottom line is Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, Arizona State have to play better. Like one of these teams should be coming out of the conference with one loss or less and be showing that they're dominant on the national stage, especially USC. USC has to be good for the sake of the Pac-12 and Again, it goes back to the conference and the school maybe not caring as much about football. And bottom line is everything's about money. Football is the money sport. You got to care about it. And like you said, I think the next commissioner hire is super, super important for the future of the Pac-12. So, hey, that'll do it for the mailbag. Be sure to, hey, hit us up on social media, Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review. Ask us a question. We will answer it here on the podcast. These questions are submitted by you, the listener. We'd love to do another one of these here in the offseason. But that will do it for this edition of The Extra Point. He is Daniel. I am Jacob. See you.